January 12, 2023. Let's continue in Masechet Berachot, we're on Amud Bet, in the widest lines here in the Gemara, it's eight lines down, just two words before the end of the line. The Gemara had just mentioned a statement in the name of Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Hanina, who in turn was quoting from Rabbi Li'ezer ben Yaakov. It was relevant to our last conversation. Now that we mentioned the comment with that rabbi in the name of the other, we have another one. It's unrelated otherwise. Ve'amar bi Yosef Berbi Hanina says the Gemara Mishum Rabbi Li'ezer ben Yaakov. Al ya'amod adam b'makom gavoha v'it palel. So there seems to be two statements here with regards to this uh, halakha. First and foremost, don't stand at a high place at the time of prayer. And furthermore, you should instead stand in a low place. And we're talking physically during the time of prayer. Shine imar. What's the sourcing before we talk about this further? Pasuk says, from the depths I've called out to you, I've cried out to you, God. Now, of course, the simple interpretation of that pasuk in Tehillim is that it's from the depths of my heart, the depths of my experience, my sorrow, my agony. But instead, we're envisioning it as not only spiritual and uh, psychological depths, but physical depths. Tanyana mehache, we have a beraita which directly accords with this statement. Lo ya'amod adam lo al gabe kiseh, velo al gabe shirafraf, it's inappropriate for a person to stand on a chair, on a footrest, or any high place to pray. Rather, it's necessary that you be standing in a lower place at the time of prayer. Why so? Because there is no concept of upper uh, physical reality or any sort of uh, superiority in front of God as you approach God. Again, it brings that pasuk as the appropriate way of engaging with God from the depths, from the lower realms of life and experience. And along the same lines, but more uh, fine-tuned this pasuk with regards to a reference to the character trait as opposed to uh, the spiritual state. The pasuk describes um, um, praying to God as the prayer of a poor and impoverished person, meaning from a lowly state of being. Shohan Aruch in Siman Sadiq, at the very beginning in Sa'if Aleph, records this halakha. I'd like to, for a moment, just read some of that halakha, maybe reflect for a moment or two. It says Shohan Aruch here, Hamit Palel, Lo Ya'amod, Al Gabe Mita, Velo Al Gabe Kise, Velo Al Gabe Safsal. A person who's praying should not be standing on those higher platforms. Now, in parentheses over here, it says, Va'afilu enan gebohin shelosha. Even if their height is not more than three tefahim. It says, Bet Yosef b'shem mahari abuhab. We'll come back to that statement in a second. Velo al gabe makom gavoa. It shouldn't be on any other higher leveled platform. Ela imken unless haya zaken o hale o shahayeta kavanato la sibur. Unless you're a, a person who needs to because of their uh, weakness or uh, sickness or ailment or age, or you're a hazan who needs to get his voice out to others. So let's make one or two comments over here. First and foremost, what's the definition of a high place? There is in, uh, in Mikdash Eliyahu, there are two steps going up to the stage. Uh, there's uh, often in the morning, there's one man who stands on the first of those two steps and he prays, he takes the... Uh, the stender from the, the podium, from the stage, 
puts a sidur on that. That's how he prays his Amida. Is that inappropriate? So once someone approached me and said he shouldn't be doing that. So I disagreed. And I'll tell you why I disagreed. Because the first step is that less than three tefahim high. And the measurement, as, um, as Bet Yosef explains it, of a, of a high place is a place that has a halachic entity. Anything within three tefahim of the ground in terms of that measurement is considered as if it's connected. It's a part of the ground. As a result, that's not what we're referring to. We're referring to something higher than three. Now you'll understand those parentheses as well in, in over here, which Bet Yosef, in fact, quotes from Mahari Abu Hab. Why is it that the Gemara says, don't stand on a high place, but not only that, don't stand on a chair or on a footrest. Once you tell me a high place, obviously a chair and a footrest are a part of high place. Why specify those? The suggestion of Mahari Abu Hab, which Shulchan Aruch does not copy over, which is significant, is that if you're on a chair or a footrest of that sort, even if it's very low, I don't know how you found a chair lower than three tefahim, but you know, I don't know, maybe a mourner's chair or a, a midget's chair of some or a child's chair. You still shouldn't be standing on that, according to some opinions. Why not? Because it's rickety, because it uh, will uh, distract you, not so much because of this halacha per se. It's a difficult reading in the Gemara, because the Gemara has it in the context of the proper state of mind in terms of coming from a lowly state, as opposed to a fear that you're going to fall off. Regardless, the halakha is that we're talking about something above three tefahim. What about the, the stage that the rabbis stand on? Obviously, there has to be something. You said the first step, no, but... So that's an interesting question. Um, I, I can tell you that um, there are some bateknesiot. I visited a, a synagogue once where the rabbi will get off of the stage in order to pray Amidah. And, uh, and I questioned, I asked why, and he said to me that that was his reason for it. I'm not certain that's that in that circumstance, you're not elevating yourself to prayer. That is where you're sitting. Your seat is on that stage. That's your platform. It's true that you're a part of the knees. I can understand it as a midat uh, hasidut of some sort, but it doesn't seem to me that that would be um, necessary. The whole room was leveled at a higher pace, let's say a balcony of some sort. So you're not going to say in that situation, right, exactly. Now, Mishnah Burra does quote from Magen Abraham. It's a well-known uh, reality that used to exist, at least in Eastern European country, uh, countries and, and cities of sorts, um, that the place where the Hazan would pray was specifically at a lower place. In other words, we said in our Gemara two things. Number one, don't stand in a higher place. Number two, Ela, rather, do it in a low place. What happens to the low place? Not recorded in Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch seems to accept that. He talks about this bit in Beit Yosef as a midat hasidut. What's necessary is not elevate yourself, but it doesn't mean that you have to put yourself lower. The suggestion of Magen Abraham is, I don't know, you have to understand, that's the ideal place for the Hazan at the very least. The, the, the Bima used to be in many, and you could still until today, in ancient synagogues, see that they would go down some steps in order to pray. Very different than Middle Eastern or the synagogues that we have here, even in, in, in Brooklyn, where you go up in order to, as Shohan Aruch referenced, to make it heard to others so that it's a focal point where the Hazan is. But rather, they would specifically go down. There was a Knis... I assume it's still built like that. Certainly used to be when I was younger on Avenue J, where you'd go down. That was Rabbi Khan's uh, uh, shul. He used to go down in order to be the Hazan. In truth, there is a suggestion. Magen Abraham Bet Yosef deals with this that when the Gemara and Mishnayot talk about Yored Lifnei Hateva, that's the way they refer to Hazanim. Maybe that's what it's referring to. That they used to go down. They used to descend in order to be a Hazan. 
that Maran Beit Yosef suggests instead, it's not necessarily what it means. It might be that they used to have one place where they would read from the Sefer for Kiryat Torah, and then you'd go down and be level instead of being higher in order for people to be the Hazan. Uh, irrespective of that, Midat Hasidut could be. It is not, and again, you can experience and see that in many, if not all of our Batei Knesset, we don't have a lower place for the Hazan or for anyone in the congregation. We just, at the very least, try to keep people not going up, and the Hazan, as appropriate, is higher. So ideal is everyone on the same platform on the same Yes. Area. Now again, for Hazan we have a different one. That's for Hazan and Kedeshi Yashmiyat Kolol Arabim. So we do it and in the If there situation. was some sort of uneven land, let's say you're in a mountain, you're at a something like that, and you have a minyan in the middle of a hike or something. No, everyone... because no. No, I don't think so. Again, the question is if, if you're in a hilly area or there are bumps and of that sort. I don't think so because I think in such a circumstance that's all karka, it's all ground. You don't look at that person per se and say, he's higher. He's on the ground. It just happens to be a bumpy area. That's right. That's right. Similar to to within three tfahim of the ground. Again, because nobody is higher, let's consider a part of the ground. So if it's actually the ground, it, it, it shouldn't apply. Says the Gemara onward, Again, the same rabbi uh, quoting in the same name of the same rabbi in turn. And furthermore, halachot with regards to Tefillah Hamit Palel, person who's praying Amida Sarich Sheyechavin Et Raglav. It's ideal that they uh, have their legs, or it's halacha that they have their legs placed one next to the other. Shene Emar, as the pasuk says in Sefer Chizkiel, with regards to angels, Veraglehem Regel Yeshara. The pasuk starts with their legs, and then it concludes with was a straight leg. Well, do they have legs or a leg? So it seems to be, as Rashi seems to imply to us, that it was, as Rashi writes, Nirin Keregelechad. Oh, they had two legs. It appeared to be one because they were placed one right next to the other. Uh, what's the halakha with regards to placing the legs one next to the other? Do the feet need to be vertically, directly adjacent one to the other? Or does the back, the heel of the feet, need to be adjacent one to the other, kind of making a V-like uh, uh, um, structure with regard, or, or picture with regards to the feet? In this Mishnah Rav Ishmatzliach, he cites from Or Litzion, Ham Benzion Abashaul, who in his Helik Bet, to his uh, book Or Litzion, he writes that the clear implication of most of the poskim is that the feet should be placed one right next to the other, unless it's difficult or uncomfortable, so then there's room to be lenient, but ideally, the two feet should be exactly and directly adjacent one to the other, looking like, as the Gemara told us, one leg. What's the purpose for this in our prayer? So one of two. Shohan Aruch records the reason that it's in order so that we mimic the angels. We're turning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and we're saying we want to maximize our potential. We want to fulfill our mission. Our mission is to fulfill your mission. Just like the angels who do it perfectly in a subservient fashion. They just follow your will. We, in standing in front of you in service and worship, want to mimic them. Alternatively, Rashba suggests another interpretation in Sikhidushe Agadot on this Gemara here, Masechet Berachot. He suggests that... Um, uh, having legs next to one another, kind of seeming as if they're pasted or connected one to the other, kind of um, takes away the ability to walk. If you have your feet next to each other, you could hop at best. You could maybe pull yourself along. 
And the statement is, as human beings, we're oftentimes moving and, and doing and determining. As we stand in front of you, God, we're kind of saying that ability and that, uh, and that tendency is really all dependent upon you. So we're, we're stopping all movement and turning to you, God, and saying all our movement is dependent upon the direction and instruction uh, that you'll give us and in an appropriate um, fulfillment of our mission with regards to you. continues the Gemara, what does it mean when the Torah says Lo al haddam? So the Pasuk doesn't say Lo dam, don't eat blood. It rather says Lo al haddam. And the Gemara elsewhere, Masechet Sanhedrin, has several derashot with regards to this Pasuk. But over here we're going to have one specific derasha with regards to this. There is, interestingly and importantly, but not, not really for our conversation right now, a major debate about this statement that we're about to read. Is this with the forcefulness and the stringency of a halakha from the Torah? Is this a full-fledged derasha? In other words, when you open to the Torah, you see these words, lo adam, whatever law we're about to read is what it means, kivyachol, akadosh baruch was transmitting to us, we should treat it as a mitzvah min ha-Torah. Or alternatively, it's just what we call an asmachta. It's a midrabanan. We generally speaking assume it's an asmachta. It's midrabanan, which means that there's more leniency. There are some who suggest that it's even from the Torah and there's less room for leniency. What is the halacha we're talking about? Lo tochlu kodem shetit palelu al dimchem. The statement here in the Gemara is uh, you should not be praying, you should not be eating before you request your blood before you pray and request life from God. Which means to say there's an isur, there's a prohibition. Again, we assume midrabanan, but the fact that there's anyone who says it's minat Torah is significant. Um, that, uh, that you may not eat, and our assumption by extension is, or drink before prayer. Praying shahrit. Certainly praying shahrit, uh, there is debate and discussion about from the time of minha with the supply, but it's not to the same extent for reasons that are somewhat clear. Shohan Aruch here in Siman Petet, in Sa'if Gimal, writes the following. Asur lo lehit asek b'srachav, o lelech laderech, ad shiit palel tefilat shemone Israel, reference to tefilat in the morning. Quite clearly, you're not supposed to get involved with other matters. We discussed this earlier in the Masechet. We can and should on another occasion. Velo, he continues, le'echol, velo lishtot. Not let it eat, not let it drink. Aval, he, he, he adds, however, mayim, he's quoting from Tur in the name of Ra'avya, mutar lishtot kodem tefila. You're allowed to drink before him. Ben behol, ben beshabbat, v'yom tom, v'chen ochalim mashkin refuah mutar. And so too, if it's for medicinal reasons, which is fascinating, that that needs to be included. Why would you have thought otherwise if it's for medicinal reasons? Okay, we'll come back to this in just a moment. Let's now read in the Gemara uh, the suggested reasoning for this. It's not a hawk of some sort that the Torah teaches us and we can't figure out why. It's not a statement of the rabbis which comes with no explanation. The statement nonetheless is, no eating or drinking before tefillah in the morning. In the afternoon will be for other reasons. It'll be a fear that you're not going to pray. And if you have a prayer time, there's room for permissibility. Same for Arbit. However, when it comes to Shahrit, it's specifically irrespective. You have your Minyan, you know when you're going to pray. No eating or drinking, it appears to be. Aside from water, Shohan Aruch said. Uh, again, from Ra'avya. Uh, let's talk about this a little bit further. Says the Gemara, Amar Bi'itzhak, 
אמר רבי יוחנן, אמר רבי יוסף, ברבי חנינה, משום בלי עזר בן יעקב, כל האוכל ושותה ואחר כך מתפלל. If a person were to transgress this, uh, this uh, rule and does eat and does drink before prayer, עליו הכתוב אומר, about them it's uh, so to speak said, ואותי השלכת אחרי גביך. You've thrown me, God expressing, behind your body. אל תקרא גביך, instead of reading it as your body, אלא גאיך, it's your pride, which to a certain extent are connected one to the other over here. Your pride and your body is yourself. You've thrown me, God, so to speak, is saying to you, behind yourself. You treated yourself, determined and decided that you need to fulfill your bodily needs and wants before turning to me in prayer. אמר הקדוש ברוך הוא, כביכול God expresses about such a person, לאחר שנתגאה זה, קיבל עליו מלכות שמיים. After he expressed his haughtiness, his self-centered, pompous self, uh, well, now he's going to uh, accept the yoke of heaven. Now he's going to turn to me and say, but I really care about you, God, and I would give all up for you. Really? Then how come you were eating and drinking beforehand? Now again, Shohan Aruch made clear two things. Number one, a permissibility with regards to water. Why should water be different? Well, clearly water is not something that brings with it a certain haughtiness. Water is because you have a parched mouth. Water is because mom getting a headache. That's what's permitted. Does that extend to tea and coffee, for example? Mishnah Burrah cites from many that it perhaps should not. He continues and he says, well, let me read to you a little bit um, uh, in Mishnah Burrah here in Siman Petet. He says, Veteve kafe מותר לשתותו קודם תפילה. So he is permitting. כדי שיוכל לכוון דעתו להתפלל, in order to aid your kavana. Again, if the purpose in the eating is to fulfill your bodily wants, it's problematic. If it's to help your kavana, so then it's permitted, even though there was and is a debate about it. Mishnah Burah takes a clear stance. It's permitted. What about with sugar? What about alternatively with milk? With sugar, Mishnah Burah has this interesting statement. It says Mishnah Burah, with regards to sugar, he uh, on the one hand quotes that it's forbidden, and then he says, but everyone does it. That's a fascinating situation where Mishnah Burah does this sort of question. How could everyone be doing it? Suggests Mishnah Burah the reason that everyone does it is because there's two ways of drinking your coffee or tea with, with sugar. You can either place sugar into the cup and then drink from it, or you can take a cube of sugar and put it in between your teeth and drink the coffee or tea through the sugar and, and in turn to swallow it. He says the first one is prohibited. The first one makes clear you want a sweet drink. Sweet drink is for your own self. When you put it in between your teeth, you're showing that instead of a sweet drink, you just want to satiate yourself and you want it to go down in a way that's comfortable. That's what's permitted. I have uh, just uh, one comment on that. Nobody any longer. Although, in one of my grandparents' home, I used to see a plate, a, a little bowl, which had a tray, and it used to have these little small cubes for, um, for sugar. So I asked my, my Zaidi once, I said, what's that for? And he told me that once upon a time, not long before I was born, that's the way people used to drink their coffee and tea. They used to take that, put it in between their teeth, and then drink through it. That's what Mishnah Barah says is permitted. In today's day and age, first and foremost, we don't do that any longer. And secondly, um, the fact that we put sugar into our coffee or tea, is it in the old school fashion, uh, just in order to make it taste better, or is it alternatively part of the experience of coffee and tea? 
There is a story in the book called Ve'alehu lo yibol. Ve'alehu lo yibol is questions that were asked to Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach and the answers that he gave them. It's not, it's not authoritative. It wasn't given by the rabbi with his stamp of approval. It was a student who collected different statements. So he says that he, he quotes from someone who was in a Mishnah Birurah class. They would learn every day and then they got tested by Rabbi Arbach. They got up to this siman. Rabbi Arbach asked him, what's the halacha? So he said, well, you're not allowed to put sugar into your coffee or tea in the morning. So Rabbi Orbach said to him, what about your father? Does your father put coffee, uh, sugar into his coffee in the morning? So he said, yes, he does. He says, do you understand the audacity? The chutzpah, you just said that your father is trans. Don't you know your father's a religious man? Aren't you aware that your father follows halacha? How could you make such a bold statement? That's a fascinating story in and of itself with regards to the power of the normative practice in determining what we do la halacha. It's a statement over there. The fact that today coffee is drunk in such a fashion transformed and in turn the way that people do who follow halacha will put sugar into their coffee. It's therefore permitted assuming that you're not going to the coffee shop and getting a fancy with uh, with caramel and chocolate in it, then I would make very clear to you and to anyone else, that's prohibited. That's ge'e, that's ga'ava, that's oti uh, you've thrown me behind your back and your pride. Um, that being the case, what about milk? Mishnah Burah very clearly says milk is prohibited the poskim today, generally speaking, assume milk is permitted. It's permitted because the milk that we put in is not to make it a more pleasurable drinking, but rather to make it drinkable. To drink uh, black coffee is just, for many people, just not what they do. It's not because they're giving themselves a delicacy with the milk. And as a result, both milk and, uh, excuse me, both tea and coffee with milk, and even with some sugar for those who are regilin bekach, would be permitted before prayer. What about taking some cake or uh, cookies in order to enjoy the experience? That's what's prohibited. What if I'm going to have a migraine or I'm prone to uh, nausea or something of that sort? That's what Shohan Aruch said, that if it's uh, for refuah reasons, if it's in order to aid your prayer experience, not to hurt it, that's what will be permitted, but you have to be very careful with determining that. Aiding, you might say, I don't, wanna, I don't even want to be thinking about food. That's not aiding. I want to be full when I'm praying. No, that's what's prohibited. Aiding, it means you're not going to have a migraine. It means you're not going to be nauseous. It means you're not going to have a difficult experience. Then, and specifically then, is there a permissibility? People who take medicine and need to take it before tefillah as well should take a cracker as they have that water beforehand and, uh, and then take the pills. Okay, continues the Gemara onward. And we had earlier, back to the halakha matters, Rabbi Yoshua Omer, Ad Shaloshaot. The halakha was with regards to Kiryat Shema in the morning, um, what's the final time to say Kiryat Shema in the morning? I know, it feels like a long time since we have discussed this. Guess what? It has been a long time. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shemuel, Halacha Kirbi Yoshua. That is the final time for Kiryat Shema in the morning. Three Sha'ot Zemaniot into the day. Hakore Mikan Ve'elach Lo Hifsid. The Mishnah then concluded, however, that if you continue reading Kiryat Shema from then until the end of the day or at any other point, Lo Hifsid, you didn't lose anything. Ke'adam Hakore Torah. We liken you to a person who's studying Torah, there's nothing wrong with that. You're just not fulfilling the mitzvah per se of Kiryat Shema appropriately. Amar of Hasta, Amar Morukva, Ubilvat Shelo Yomar Yoser Or. 
If you're past the third hour, you shouldn't be saying Yoser Or. That's one of the Brachot of Kiryat Shema. It's inappropriate. Yoser Or means you've crafted light, God. It's long past the time of crafting light. As a result, you shouldn't be saying that. Metive, we have a beraita which we're going to ask from. This beraita explicitly says, although you're past the time of three hours, you can continue to say the birkot kiriyat shema. Kiriyat shema has, to a certain extent, lost its full ability to fulfill the mitzvah. But say the berachot kiriyat shema, which is fascinating in and of itself. If the berachot, which are for kiriyat shema, how are you making the berachot if you're not fulfilling kiriyat shema? The answer is, these berachot are not the standard berachot of berachot mitzvah. You don't say, asher kiddishayma These are berachot shevah of sorts. And as a result, you can say them even independent of an actual fulfillment of the mitzvah. Tiuta de Rav Hasda. So question on Rav Hasda. Rav Hasda's statement again was, past three hours, say kiriyat shema all you like. Adam kore batora. But no berachot, no yoser or. The beraita says explicitly, it's okay. Tiuta. Period. Says the Gemara, indeed, this is a TKO, a total knockout on Rav Hasta. Ikadamre, there's a different version. Amar Rav Hasta Marmorukva. The statement of Rav Hasta was different. Not that the Beraita will be different, but his initial statement was different. How so? What is this second version of Rav Hasta in the name of Morukva? Quite the opposite. According to this version, Rav Hasta says, if you read Kiryat Shema from that time and onward, you didn't lose out. You did lose out. You're not fulfilling the mitzvah of Kiryat Shema. You mean you didn't lose out on saying the Berachot. Explicitly then, Rav Hasta, in the name of Morukva, is arguing like the Beraita. The Beraita won't be a question any longer. It'll be a support. Tanya Nameache, we have a Beraita which directly supports and accords with this. Tanya, Beraita, Name, also Hache, like this. Hakore, Mikan Ve'elach, Lo'yitzit, Kadam, Shikore, Batorah. Aval, Mivarech, Ushtayim, Lefanea, Ve'achadah, Harea. Now we have a support for Rav Hasta. Indeed, or posek lahalacha like this. What does that mean? Can I say birkot kiriyat shema the entire day? That's Harambam's opinion. Hilchot kiriyat shema. Do I have a specific time limit? That is the halacha in Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch is posek lahalacha. Although there are several other opinions that you have until a third into the day, whereas kiriyat shema is until the end of the third hour. Birkot kiriyat shema you can continue saying until the end of the. Fourth hour, of course, we're referring to Sha'ot Zemaniot. There's an opinion out there until Hatzot, we're not posek like that. As I mentioned, Tarambam the whole day, which is Peshat in the Gemara, we're not posek like that either. It's a third into the day, meaning till the end of the fourth hour. Amar Bimane, Gadol HaKore Kriyat Shema Be'onata, Yoter Meha Osek Torah. Statement, it's greater to say Kriyat Shema during its appropriate time, meaning within those first three hours, more than study of Torah. Middekatane, I can derive this from the words in our Mishnah, if you read Kriyat Shema from the uh, inappropriate time, after three hours and, uh, and onward, uh, you didn't lose out. Then, it's, uh, well, you didn't lose out because you're like learning Torah. We can derive from this. If you're saying, well, listen, the merit afterwards, it's as if you're saying Kiriyatshe. It's as if you're studying Torah. It means beforehand, the merit, his deduction is, it's Adif, it's greater to read the Kiriyatshema Be'onata. That's the statement here in the Gemara. Tosafot questions this. Tosafot says, why are we only talking about Kiriyatshema Be'onata? Why shouldn't we? As well, talk about Amida. After all, the Gemara Masechet Shabbat and Daf Yod Aleph says that if people are studying Torah, they stop Torah not only for Kiryat Shema, but also for Tefillah. 
clearly tefillah kiriyat shema be'onatam in the appropriate time is greater to a certain extent than Talmud Torah. Suggest We're not talking about during the time of uh, Kiryat Shema and Tefillah. Clearly, during the time of Kiryat Shema and Tefillah, we give precedence to the Kiryat Shema and the Amidah. That's clear. What about at a different time that you're studying Torah? Not during the time of Kiryat Shema and Tefillah, and Tefillah Be'onatam. In a different time, how would you compare the halfway through the day study of Torah to the earlier in the day Kiryat Shema and Tefillah? The answer of the Gemara, the answer to Bimane is making clear to us is that Kiryat Shema and Tefillah Be'onatam are, uh, to a large extent, greater. What does it mean it's greater? How are we scaling this? After all, the Mishnah and Pekavot says we're supposed to not scale mitzvot. We're supposed to treat mitzvot kalot, kahamurot. It's more an exaggerated statement to make clear to us the importance, the significance of People mistakenly assume, well, after all, I am saying I'm turning to God. You can't assume that I really need to keep by these times. I'll do my best to keep to these times. The statement of Rabbi Maneh, his diuk from the Mishnah, is, is strengthening and highlighting the point, the significance, timing, as we know from the business world, as we're aware of from the professional lives that many of us live, is very often the essence of the matter. Being held in check and waiting online could sometimes throw off an entire plan. A meeting which gets stalled can sometimes change the outcome entirely. In the appropriate time, cannot and should not be underestimated with regards to its significance and in turn its precedence to Torah, uh, Talmud Torah, Kiryat Shema, and Tefillah Be'onatam, his statement is, is Gadol from and greater than Talmud Torah. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen.